We're in a series called When Life Surprises You. And the word surprise comes from the Latin, which means to seize. It refers to a military attack where we are thwarted from the purposes that God has for us. The very first week, we, lo- we took a look at a vocational surprise with Peter. And we walked away with the thought of the importance of God's word, where Peter said, at your bidding, Lord, I will. Last week, we took a look at a physical surprise through the life of Job. And the key word out of the book of Job is trust, which for us was an acrostic of of telling God how you feel, resisting bitterness, uniting with others, surrendering to God, and trusting God with the details. Today we're going to take a look at a relational surprise. What do you do when you go through a storm that was due to someone else's choice, someone else's mistake? It's one thing, is it not, to make your mistake and you go through that storm because of you. It is totally a different thing when someone else has made a stupid decision and you are the direct effect of it. Now, those of you who have been deeply hurt in your life, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe your surprise was a divorce that you did not want or a bankruptcy that was not your fault or a layoff in a position because someone made the decision to merge companies and you got cut. I know that some of you may be struggling with your identity or your, your emotions or your mental health because some evil person abused you. These are major storms that oftentimes come into our lives. They are not our fault when someone makes a poor decision. But regardless, that choice brings havoc in your life, on your health, on your hopes, and on your happiness. This is the kind of surprise that we're going to take a look at today out of the book of Acts. And we're going to discover how God takes that kind of a surprise and turns it into a better surprise. The book of Acts basically is divided up into two parts. It focuses in on two characters, Peter and Paul. Peter is the first 12 chapters as he seeks to spread the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And then from 13 on, it focuses in on Paul as he seeks to spread the gospel throughout the world. We're going to take a look at a story in Acts 27 of him suffering a shipwreck as a result of someone else's poor choices. Let me get give you a little bit of background here. Paul had always wanted to go to Rome to preach the good news. It was his dream to preach in the Colosseum. Rome was the greatest city in the world, and to get there would have been the kind of the pinnacle of his profession. But he gets there not by way of a preaching series. He gets there by way of being a prisoner on a ship. Paul had been put on trial unfairly, but because he was a Roman citizen, he appealed to Caesar, and so he got a free ride to Rome on a ship. We're going to pick up this story where Paul 
is put on this prison ship in Crete where the sailors have had some leave time and they stayed there a little bit too long. Autumn turns into winter where it is unsafe to sail. God impresses on Paul's heart, whatever you do, don't go sailing. Don't, don't go sailing. It is not a good time. Wait until winter is over with. Yet the crew was impatient. And they made the decision to sail. And sure enough, a storm comes up and the ship is wrecked. Take a look at Acts 27, verse 41. The ship struck a reef and ran aground. As it was repeatedly smashed by the force of the storm's waves, the ship began to break apart. This is Paul's shipwreck. In fact, he had three of them in his lifetime. You may read this story and you may think, what in the world does that have to do with me in the 21st century? Folks, it has a lot to do with you and, I, you and me. It answers three of the most important questions when you have suffered a shipwreck, when you have suffered a surprise that was not by your choice. It answers three very important questions. The first one is this, what causes people to make poor choices? And as a result, I suffer for them. Secondly, what do you need to know about storms? And then thirdly, what do you need to remember while you are in a storm that is not brought on by you, but brought on by someone else, and you feel hopeless? We're gonna take a look at those three questions. I'm going to bring this text into the 21st century. The very first question is this. What causes people to make poor choices? And what we see are these things. First of all, when you listen to ungodly people. Let's pick up this story in verse 9 and 10 of Acts 27. Much time had been lost and the day of fasting had passed, so by now it had become dangerous to sail because of the, of the, fall, uh, of the fall weather. So Paul warned the sailors with this advice. Men, I have perceived that our voyage is going to be disastrous. If we sail now, we'll lose the cargo and the ship and likely our own lives too. Go on, verse 11. But the Roman officer in charge of the prisoners didn't listen to Paul. Instead, he followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Okay, have you ever been given bad advice in your life? Sure you have. Have you ever been overruled by an authority or a so-called authority? I'm sure we all have. In fact, I have noticed that some people use experts to validate their biases. They go out there and look and listen to different experts that are out there and then they choose the one that they agree with. So they're really not looking for advice, they're just looking for reinforcements. Now, I don't know, now I don't want to belabor this point. But when God tells you not to do something, you better ignore what the, what the experts are telling you it's okay to do. Like pilots and captains and like the crew. Oftentimes, we get bad advice because we listen to the wrong people. 
and not to God. The second reason that, that disasters come into our lives is when people copy the crowd. In other words, they go with the flow. They do what is popular. Take a look at verse 12. Then the crew decided that they, was, that they should go ahead and sail up the coast of Crete because the majority wanted to spend the winter in Phoenix, and it had a, and it had a nice harbor. History shows that the majority is often wrong. Do you remember the story of Moses sending the 12 spies into the promised land? They, they came back, and 10 of them said, you know what, we can't do it. Though God says, yeah, you can take it. They said, no, we can't do it. Uh, they're giants in the land. We look like grasshoppers in their eyes. And those 10 spies convinced all the nation of Israel to not go in. And so as a result, they wasted away 40 years in the wilderness. The majority oftentimes is wrong. There were 276 people on this ship and when the vote was taken, 273 says, hey, let's go for it. Everything looks good, right? And three didn't vote for it. Paul and his two companions. And I am sure Paul at this point is shaking his head. Gee whiz, you guys don't have the slightest idea what's ahead. Let me ask you this question. Do you know anyone that has shipwrecked their life because they followed the crowd? Because they went with what was popular. It is the second reason that disasters come into our life. The third reason is when we count on circumstances instead of Christ. You see, just because it looks good doesn't mean that it is good. Take a look at verse 13. When a gentle wind began to blow from the south, the crew thought they had, they, had, they had obtained what they wanted and their plan would work. So they pulled up the anchor and sailed as close as possible to the shoreline of Crete. Have you ever thought that you were getting exactly what you wanted and later you realized that you were heading for a shipwreck. Has that ever happened to you? That's what's happening here in this story. Let me ask that question a little bit differently. Is it possible that what you are wanting in life might be setting you up for a shipwreck? Sure. Folks, when God has said no or not yet, and you go with the, the favorable winds of whatever, you are heading for a disaster. Now, the justification a lot of times from people is simply this. Well, it, it just looked good. And I thought if it looked good, it must be good. Or this one. Well, I just felt like it was the right thing to do. So because I felt that way, guess what? It, it must be right. Folks, that's bad logic. God has given you and I a brain. And he says, I want you to use it. Now, why in the world would anyone want to move against circumstances that are favorable? Well, it's because circumstances can change. Because circumstances can change immediately. And oftentimes they change 
constantly, do they not? This is what is in this story. Take a look at Acts 27, 14. But shortly afterward, the weather changed suddenly. And a wind of hurricane force came up the northeast and blew the ship out to sea. Houston, we have a problem. They are trying to go up the coastline. And now they are blown out to sea and they are at the mercy of a storm. So what am I saying? I am saying that sometimes in our lives, people listen to ungodly advice. They copy the the crowd or they rely on circumstances and in doing so, they lead us in to storms. Storms and shipwrecks that are not our fault. Now the next thing that we learn in this story is what do I need to know about storms? Because if you don't know what you need in a storm, you can be manipulated by that storm. And so you and I need to know what storms can do so that we don't fall in to these traps. And the first trap is this. Storms can cause me to drift from God. They can cause me to drift from my goal of pursuing God. Take a look at Acts 27, verse 15. The ship was caught in the storm, and the wind was so strong that they could not sail against it. They lost all control, so they stopped trying. They gave up and let the wind drive them, drifting in every direction. Now that verse right there is just packed full of insights. In fact, it's packed full of five things that happen in a storm when it comes to you and I pursuing our goals with God. The first one is you tend to lose control. It says says they lost control. Then it says they stopped trying. Why? Because they got tired. Third, they gave up. Fourth, they were being pressure-driven versus purpose-driven. And then fifth, they drifted. And you will drift. You will drift everywhere. That's what can happen in a storm. Now, let me get really real with us here. Have you ever let a storm cause mission drift in your life? Where it's caused you to lose focus of God and your goals. Where you begin to grasp for straws by controlling the uncontrollable. This is what happens in this story. Take a look at this verse in verse 17. Then the crew tied ropes around the ship to try to hold it together. Folks, this is a huge storm. It lasted for 14 days, and they are grasping for straws. They are finding some rope, and they're trying to try the hole together so it doesn't fall apart. What kind of ropes do you use to keep it all together when you are adrift and you're trying to control the uncontrollable? The first thing that you and I need to know when we are in a storm that has been brought on to us by others, not our choice, but by others, is that that storm can cause you to drift from God and from your goals. 
The second thing we learn in this story is that it can cause us to discard what we value. In other words, our priorities and our values. Oftentimes in a storm, when we are in pain, we change our values. Let me give you an example. If you have ever been sick for a long period of time, you tend to change your value about health. Isn't that true? Let me give you the opposite of that because even good change can cause you to change your values. If you're in a partying mood. I mean, you might value health, right? But you're living the good life. And so you go out and you do unhealthy things. Do you realize this weekend, Frito-Lay, not the other companies, Frito-Lay will sell 67 million pounds of salty snacks. We change our values sometimes in, in the good times, okay, from healthy to unhealthy. In pain, oftentimes we increase that value of really what is best for us. This is what we see in this story. In Acts 27, 18 and 19, look at this. The next day, as gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing all the cargo overboard. The following day, they even threw out all the ship's equipment and anything else that they could lay their hands on. First it was the cargo, then it was the equipment. Later in the story, they attempted to throw themselves overboard. I say this, never make a major decision in your life when you are in the valley of despair. Because oftentimes, you will make the wrong one. Now the third thing that we see in this story, from this storm, is that storms can cause me to despair. You drift, you discard, and then you despair. In verse 20, the terrible storm raged unabated for many days, blotting out both the sun and the stars until in the dark we finally gave up all hope of being saved. They're in the dark. It is total darkness. They don't even know where they are. They don't know where they've, uh, they know where they've come from, from Crete, but they don't know where they're at in relationship to Crete. And they begin to despair. Picture that. 14 days in total darkness. No sun, no stars, no compass. Wave after wave after wave is hitting the ship. No doubt they are soaked to their bones. They are being tossed here and tossed there and tossed over there and tossed over here. And they begin to think, we're doomed. We're done. We're finished. Put a fork in it. It's over with, okay? And they say, we finally gave up hope. Hope is oftentimes the last thing that is thrown out. Now what is interesting in this story is Paul's reaction and how it is different from the crew, the pilot, the owner, the prisoners. Everybody is panicked, but Paul is at peace. 
Everybody is cowardly, but Paul is calm and collective. You see, as a pastor, for 30 plus years, I have discovered that true test of one's faith is not when you can come to church and stand up and shout and sing because life is good, but rather how straight you walk when the storms are battering against you. Anybody can be a fair-weathered believer. How can you walk straight when the storm of life is on you and that storm is not the result of yourself, the choices that you've made, but rather the choices that other people have made. Remember, Paul, it's not his fault. He hadn't done anything wrong. He, 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 he wasn't disobedient. He's just there for the ride. He just wants to go to Rome. And he said, hey guys, don't do this. He warned them, but they chose not to follow his instructions. And yet in this storm that was not his fault, he is still filled with hope. Though it looks like a hopeless situation. How was Paul able to do that? Let me answer it this way. What is the oldest symbol to the Christian faith? Do you know what it is? It's not the cross. And it's not the fish, ichthus, that stands for Jesus Christ, God's Son and Savior. It's a secret word code back then. No, the oldest symbol of the Christian faith is an anchor. Why? Because Hebrews 6, 19 says, we have this hope as an anchor to our soul. You see, Paul was able to be calm in this crisis that was not his fault. It was not his choice. It was placed upon him. He was able to be calm and collected and cool and composed because he was anchored in three truths. I want to give you these three truths. And I want to give you these three truths up front. And then we'll talk about them. Paul was anchored with the presence of God. With the purposes of God. And then the promises of God. First one, Paul was anchored. Though he was in a hopeless situation and many were feeling hopeless, he was anchored because he knew and remembered that God was with him. That God had not left him. Folks, when you and I are feeling hopeless in a situation that was put upon us, we need to remember we are not alone. We're not alone. God is with us. God did not abandon Paul. And guess what? God will not abandon us when we face a crisis, a surprise that was not 
our fault. Take a look at Acts 27, 21, and 23. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, Men, if you had listened to me, we, you would have avoided all this injury and loss. But take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of, uh, of, the, of the God I serve and belong to stood by me. Will you circle that phrase, stood by me? You and I cannot see God with our physical eyes. But God is standing by you right now. And the way that you are able to see him isn't with your physical eyes, but rather with your spiritual eyes. Because oftentimes in life, when those surprises come on us, God's fingerprints of his presence is all around it. I call them God things. And if we could just open up our spiritual eyes, we would see that God is standing with us in the storms of life. Now, I don't know what you're going through, but I do know this. Whatever it is, God is with you. You may say, well, Pastor George, I don't feel him. has nothing to do with your feelings. Remember, feelings are neither right or wrong. They're just feelings. And just because you feel him doesn't mean that he isn't there. He says he's there. And that is the reality of the situation. Because what God says is true. And God says, I am with you. I will never leave you. And I will never, ever forsake you. And so the first anchor is the presence of God. And what that results in our life is security. That is a big, huge emotional need that we all have. And it comes through the presence of God. The second anchor that helped Paul in this hopeless situation was the purpose of God. And this brings stability. Take a look at what is written in Acts 27, 24. God's angel said to me, that is Paul, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will certainly stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his, in his goodness has granted safety to everyone else sailing with you. Will you circle the word, you will? God says to Paul, you will. Not might, not hope, not maybe. God says, Paul, you will stand before Caesar. And by the way, everyone else that's on this ship, they're going to survive. Now think about this. If God's presence is with me, it means storms cannot separate me from the love of God. I can be secure in that. And if God's purposes are always fully working, then no matter what the circumstances are, they will not thwart the purposes of God for your life. Not, they won't. I don't care what you have gone through. I don't care what you're going through now. I don't care what you will go through. It does not change God's purpose for your life. He thought about it 
before you were even born. And he knew everything that would happen in between you coming into this world and the day that you leave this world. God does not have plan B for your life. He only has one plan. And he incorporates it all in. And when you and I begin to understand the purpose that God has for our life, no matter what storms come in, we can walk straight in the storm. Does that make sense? The presence of God results in security because we know that we can't be separated from God's love. The purposes of God result in stability, helping us to understand whatever storms come in our life, even those that have been perpetrated by others against us that are not our fault, that purpose that God has created you for will be fulfilled. The third thing, the third anchor that we need when we are feeling hopeless in a storm that is about ready to wreck our ship is this, remember that God's promises can be trusted. This results in confidence. It results in being stimulated to faith and having confidence in the promises of God. Take a look at Acts 27, 25, and 26. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will all turn out just as God has promised. Nevertheless, we are all going to first be shipwrecked on some island. Where is God, where is Paul's faith here in this story? It is not in the ship. It is not in the crew. It is not in the owner. It is not in the pilot. Where is God's faith? It is in the promises of God. He says, I know that God is going to take care of me and he's going to take care of you, that we are all going to make it in this storm because God has promised. And they actually end up in Malta. Now I want you to look at this next verse, verse 30 and following. At one point, the sailors tried to abandon the ship, thinking their lifeboat would save them. But Paul said, you'll all die unless you stay with the ship. So the soldiers cut the ropes and let go of their lifeboat. What does that mean for you and me in the 21st century? What that means is if you are looking for a lifeboat, for security, for stability, for some kind of stimulation, for your salvation, and it's not Jesus who is your Savior, you are sunk. And some of the lifeboats that we can be looking to get into could be our good looks. I hate to tell you this, but mine are fading fast. Or they can be our finances that make wings and fly away just as quick. Or our athletic abilities. You would never know I was 250 pounds linebacker for the Kansas City Chiefs, would you? Just kidding. Or our academics 
I've noticed that my mind works slower as time moves on. If our faith is in anything like those things, folks, we can't be secure. We can't be stable. We can't have lasting stimulation. So what is it that you and I are to put our faith in? Well, what did these crew members do? They put their faith in God. Truly the safest place for you and I to be at is always in the center of God's will for us. The safest place is always in the eye of a hurricane. And God says, place your faith in my promises. It will help you to have confidence so that you can walk straight in the storms of life. And notice what happens in Paul's life because he has placed his faith in the promises of God. Notice the expression of this confidence. In verse 34 and following, then Paul said, please eat something for your own good, for not a hair of your heads will perish. Then he took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, and ate it. Then everyone was encouraged. There is an incredibly great power in gratitude, is there not? It says when he blessed and expressed gratitude, everyone was encouraged. Your attitude, your attitude of gratitude, when you are going through a storm, especially a storm that was brought on to you by other people's poor choices, can affect people to where they relax and they are open up to God's purposes for their life. Remember that. Because here comes the surprise in verse 45. And when daylight came, the officer ordered those who could not swim to jump overboard and swim to the island, that is Malta. The rest grabbed pieces of wood from the broken ship to float on. But everyone made it safely to shore. Now as we read that story, we might think that the better surprise was that all these people were saved. And that is a good surprise. Better than death, right? But the surprise of this story was not that they were saved. The surprise of this story was who saved them? Paul did. The surprise of the story is that God chose to use Paul who was in the same hopeless situation that they were in to save people. You and I, when we are surprised by life and it is not something that we would have chosen 
ourselves. That it was in essence put upon us and we are suffering the results of us. How you and I behave in that storm, God can use to bring people to Christ. And that is the surprise of this story. That God used Paul. Why? Because he was anchored. The oldest symbol of the Christian faith. He was anchored in the presence of God. And that resulted in security. Because he knew he couldn't be separated from the love of God. And he was anchored in the purposes of God. He knew that nothing would thwart what God had purposed for his life. And he was anchored in the promises of God. And that gave him a confidence to walk straight in a storm. And God wants to use you in the same way. And what a surprise that will be when people say, you know what, because of how you walked the walk in the toughest times of life, I came to know Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I think you are a God who is sovereign, that you know the end from the beginning and you know everything in between. And there is nothing that takes you by surprise, that everything in life is father-filtered. And you allow it, God, that we might be aware of your presence. Though we might not see you with our very eyes, physical eyes, we can see you with the eyes of our heart. And we can be secure in the fact that you love us eternally. And that your purposes cannot be thwarted. That you only have one plan for our life. And that's plan A. Others might want to interfere. And they might want to deter and cause us to drift off. But God, we can be stable and walk the walk because we know that nothing can change those things. And we thank you for the promises of God that you have given us in your word. Lord, they are true. And we can take them to the bank. And I thank you for every one of those in your word. Where are you at? What storms have been raging in your heart and in your mind that have been put upon you by others? Will you anchor yourself in God's love today? Will you receive what he has for you through his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for your sins? for your mistakes, for your flops, failures, and fumbles? Will you receive him into your life? Will you drop him from your head to your heart? Will you just say in the quietness of your own heart, God, I'm drifting. I don't know where I'm going. 
I'm just grasping for straws, a little here, a little there, for some rope to hold my ship together. And I have no purpose and aim in life. I'm being pressure-driven, God, and not purpose-driven. But today, I surrender myself to you. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for my mistakes. And right now, I want to receive him into my life. I want to drop him from my head into my heart. And if you did that, in your own words, in your own way, God heard it. And now you have Jesus as the captain of your ship, the anchor of your soul to give you hope. Would you let me know? If you made that decision today, I'd love to be a part of it. I'd love to walk with you with whatever you're going through. On your communication card, you can just write your name, maybe an email address. And check the appropriate box on the back of the card. And when I get them the first part of the week, I'll reach out to you. I'll email you. Love to talk with you. Love to discuss with you what you're going through. To help you know Christ in a personal way. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for our lives. We thank you that our lives are in your hands. That not only our lives are in your hands, but that our lives are in the Father's hands, that we have double indemnity. And we thank you for that, God. We thank you for the protection that we have in you. We lift this up to you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.